There are many, most historians in fact, who would consider St. Paul to be the greatest missionary in the history of the church. He traveled tens if not hundreds of thousands of miles over land and sea to announce the gospel to every sort of person under the sun. The sufferings and trials that he underwent are listed by him in different places in his writings. Multiple shipwrecks, cold, heat, loneliness, hunger, thirst. He was beaten several times, flogged, stoned once and left for dead. The list goes on and on. The man wanted to see people come to know the Lord. He, he went through decades and decades of this hard labor in order that people might come to know Christ and his church. People might come to know Christ and his church. One of the single greatest litmus tests for our love of God, and some people would say it's the greatest litmus test of our love for God, is what we often phrase zeal for souls. The desire that we have to see as many people as possible come to know the Lord and His church, and for us to be an instrument of that. We see this zeal for souls evident on almost every page of the Gospels, particularly in how our Lord describes the desires of His Father. Think for a moment of the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son where we see God the Father, characterized as the Father in the parable, we see every little detail about how he treats his son who is strayed and his son who is not strayed as evident of the intensity of his zeal for their souls, that he wants them to live forever with him in heaven. And not only in heaven, but to enjoy as deep of a union with him as possible even in this life. Right? The father in the parable of the prodigal son has zeal for the souls of his children. And that parable concludes, if you recall, by, by announcing to the listeners that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Not only does God the Father have zeal for the souls of his children, but all the host of heaven do as well. Our Lord himself, too, even in his agony on the cross, when it's difficult for him to breathe, much less to speak words, still is concerned for souls. There he is on the cross, and he asks forgiveness for those who are tormenting him and crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Zeal for souls. He turns to the repentant thief at one point during his agony. And his zeal for this thief's soul drives him to speak words of, of tenderness and mercy. Truly I say to you, on this day you will be with me in paradise. And even in his final moments, what is on the mind of our Lord? Souls. He wants to win souls for his father. In the diary of St. Faustina, there was a particular Mass where St. Faustina had a vision of our Lord on the cross. And this is what she says about it. It says, During Holy Mass, I saw the Lord Jesus nailed upon the cross amidst great torments. 
a soft moan issued from his heart. After some time, he said, I thirst. I thirst for the salvation of souls. Help me, my daughter, to save souls. Join your sufferings to my passion and offer them to the Heavenly Father for sinners. Help me, my daughter, to save souls. Help me to save souls. The desires that we see in God the Father and in His Son, our Lord, are evident in the life of every single saint as well. St. John Chrysostom, writing in the 4th century, said, There is nothing colder than a Christian who is not concerned with the salvation of others. There is nothing colder than a Christian who is not concerned for the salvation of others. St. Jose Maria, writing in our last century, said, Out of 100 souls, we are interested in all 100. Out of 100 souls, we are interested in all 100. And St. John Bosco, whose feast day we celebrated recently, who lived in, in Italy in the 19th century, he would often pray to the Lord very simply. He would just say, Lord, give me souls. <laughs> give me souls. We need to ask ourselves whether you and I have the same zeal for souls demonstrated by these saints, by our Lord Himself and by God the Father. Do I have that same zeal? Some different indications or manifestations of this zeal would, would be, you know, to ask the question, do I pray often for people to come to know the Lord? Is that at the top of my prayer list? Right? Do, I, do I pray for others' spiritual health over and above their physical health? Right? Is their salvation my primary concern in my prayer? Do different people in my life and them coming to know the Lord in His church, does that occupy my thoughts very much, right? Do my thoughts often turn to how I might be an instrument to lead those around me closer to the Lord? Do I offer spontaneous sacrifices for people to come to know the Lord and His church? When I stub my toe on a, on a, on a, on a doorstep, I say, Lord, I, I offer this pain for so-and-so, right? When I can't fall asleep in the middle of the night, do I just get frustrated and angry, or do I offer that sleeplessness for a particular person to come to know the Lord in His church? Say, Lord, I offer this for this group of people, or for this loved one, or for this friend or coworker, right? When, when they get my order wrong at a restaurant, am I just frustrated or do I say, Lord, thank you for this, <laughs> this little inconvenience to offer this up for you for this particular soul? And so on and so on. But St. Paul, in our second reading today, he mentions very briefly two specific manifestations of this zeal for souls, that if somebody truly is zealous for the salvation of all souls, they will display two particular traits, two particular traits. The first one is a bit more difficult to get our, our arms around. It can be a, a bit more of a difficult concept to grasp. So I'll, I'll dive into that one first and save the easier one for the last. The first thing St. Paul mentions that is a manifestation of zeal for souls is, is this desire and he, he frames it in, in two different phrases, this desire to be 
all things to all people and the desire to be the slave of all. He says, St. Paul says, I have made myself the slave of all to win over as many as possible. And then he says, I've made myself all things to all to win at least some. Right? I made myself the slave of all and I've become all things to all people. What is he describing here? Well, he's describing what you might term sort of a, a flexible personality or a, or a spirit of accommodation to others, of developing a posture that can change depending upon who I'm speaking with. Right? This doesn't mean that we're accommodating the truth, that we're watering down the message of the gospel. No, no, St. Paul would never do that. What instead he's referring to is having a flexible personality that, so that I can, I can naturally relate to all sorts of different people. When we look at the life of our Lord again, he's the perfect example of this. Our Lord could relate just as naturally to somebody who was rich as he could to somebody who was poor. He could relate just as naturally to somebody from the big city of Jerusalem as he could to somebody from a small town. He could relate just as easily to somebody who was very devout in their Jewish faith to somebody who was a public sinner. He was able to relate to men and women, young and old, educated and uneducated. He was not hampered by any of these distinctions because he wanted to save all of them. And this desire, this zeal for souls drove him to have a flexible personality, to accommodate himself to whoever was right in front of him. St. Francis Xavier, who many people consider to be the second greatest missionary in the history of the church, is a similar example of this flexible personality, this sort of being more like a willow tree that can bend in the wind than an oak tree that's always very rigid and sort of a stick in the mud and, a, and sort of a fixed personality and a fixed way of speaking with people. St. Francis Xavier, when he was a student at the University of Paris, related very naturally and easily to his fellow students. Not many years later, when he boarded a ship in Portugal to go as a missionary to India, he was able to relate just as easily to the uneducated, rough sailors on that boat, and he won over many of them for the Lord by the time they reached India. When he got to India, he was able to adapt himself to various villagers in these very small and remote places who had no experience, of course, of Christianity whatsoever, and he adapted himself to them. At one point in his journeys, he arrived on an island with a tribe of people that practiced cannibalism. Obviously, he himself didn't engage in that, simple as it was, but he did his best to accommodate his message of the gospel, to adopt a flexible posture so that he might reach them for the Lord. Not long after that, he was the first missionary to arrive in Japan. And arriving in Japan meant that he would have to accommodate himself to the high court of the emperor and to adopt certain peculiarities and postures and ways of speaking and doing things 
that would have been received well by the emperor. And so he did that. He flexed his personality once again. And the list goes on and on and on. Right? He, he made himself to have a flexible personality because he wanted to save as many people as possible. Never watering down the gospel, but being natural with all sorts of different people. You know, in seminary, this is something that formators will often look for in a man who's being formed for the priesthood. They'll say, can he relate to a blue-collar worker and a white-collar worker? Can he relate to the academic and the pious person in the parish who is uneducated? Can he relate to somebody who really loves the Lord and somebody who despises the church? Can he relate to the full spectrum of humanity? Now, some of us are going to be a bit more natural at this than others in terms of like it just comes naturally to us. But all of us must have the desire to be able to have a flexible personality and to accommodate ourselves to whomever we're around. If we don't have that desire, if we don't have that desire to be all things to all people, it's a sign that we do not have zeal for souls and therefore a sign that our love for God is very poor and weak. We must at least have the desire and put forth the effort to become all things for all people. And what does this look like to become all things for all people? Well, I'm going to read you a short passage from a homily of St. Jose Maria where he speaks about how becoming all things to all people primarily means striving to understand them. Striving to understand them. And this is what he says. He says, There are many souls all around us, and we have no right to be an obstacle to their eternal happiness. Our apostolate has to be based on understanding. I insist, as I have done before, on the fact that charity, more than in giving, consists in understanding. A Christian has to be ready to share his life with everyone at all times, giving to everyone the chance to come nearer to Christ Jesus. He has to sacrifice his own desires willingly for the sake of others, without separating people into watertight compartments, without pigeonholing them or putting tags on them, as though they were merchandise or dried-up insects. A Christian cannot afford to separate himself from others, because if he did that, his life would be miserably selfish. He, would, he must become all things to all men, in order to save all men. His charity would lead him to accept others as they are, because everyone, without any exception, has his weaknesses and makes his mistakes. And he would help them with God's grace and his own human refinement to overcome evil, to remove the weeds, so that we can all help each other in living according to our dignity as human beings and as Christians. So what is he saying there? He's saying that somebody with this spirit of having a flexible personality is going to strive to understand the person with whom they're dealing. This is a manifestation of our zeal for souls that I strive to understand them. Too often we encounter somebody once and we think we know everything there is to know about them, which of course is totally absurd. Right? You encounter somebody in a particular context, cashier at a grocery store, 
homeless person at a stoplight, neighbor, coworker, somebody on television. We think we know everything there is to know about them when we, when we have one interaction with them. Oh, I interacted with them and, and they were this way. And, and therefore, like, this is the kind of person they are. I'm going to put them in this box, in this category. And we forget all about the massive complexity of their personal history. All the people they've loved and the people who've loved them, the people they've hurt and the people who've hurt them, the jobs they've had, the jobs they've lost, the tragedies in their life, the joys in their life. The list goes on and on and on. We must have a desire to understand people, to not think that we know everything about them, even people we've known for many, many years. So we have to ask the question, am I interested in every person I meet? Am I interested in every person I meet? That is a sign that we have zeal for souls. We are interested in every person we meet. The second thing that St. Paul mentions in the reading today that's a manifestation of our love for God and our zeal for souls is that we talk about Jesus. Very, very simple. St. Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And in the gospel today, Jesus tells his apostles, let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also, for it is for this reason that I have come. Right? We must be willing to speak about Jesus. A famous passage from the prophet Jeremiah talks about how he could no longer contain it within himself to not speak about the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 20, he says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name... There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary holding it in. A burning fire shut up in my bones. Do you feel that in your own heart? Do I feel that in my own heart? Is there a burning fire in there? This burning fire to bring others to the Lord, and I, and I, I can't hold it in. I must speak about Him. The Second Vatican Council's document on the Apostle of the Laity said something Similar, it said, the true apostle is on the lookout to announce Christ by words and not by deeds only. The true apostle is on the lookout to announce Christ by words and not by deeds only. Do you and I speak about the Lord? Are we looking for opportunities to speak about Him, to say the holy name? Finally, the question for all of us today is, very simply, are you and I zealous for souls? Do we seek to understand others? Are we willing to relate to people of all different backgrounds in the hopes of saving at least some? Do we want to become all, pe all things to all people to save as many as possible? Do we speak frequently about our Lord? when we interact with others. Let us beg God for the grace today to set a fire in our souls so that we might not be cold Christians who are inflexible, but those who care deeply about the salvation of those around us, to adopt for ourselves the sentiments in the heart of God the Father and in the sacred heart of Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord.